Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I'm not alone. Stand up for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. I'm pretty one look. Talk to the road. What's the problem? Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would do it, whose life would be. I harm someone each time. Kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially at first. Uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. What will you be talking about this week, Barney? Well, Tara, ever heard someone say, touch my beer and I'll kill you? Just you. Usually this is just an expression, but not for Gary Miles. Gazza killed his mate Paul Stamp because he drank his last four beers. Seems a little excessive, doesn't it? It's a bit disproportionate to the crime. Yeah, the punishment did not fit the crime. No. What will you be talking about, Tara? Ashley Laney and Tracy Humphrey were married on the 4th of July 2003. The next day, Ashley murdered his ex girlfriend, Sandy Rosso, who was due to go to court to testify against Tracy in an assault case. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Well, I'd like to hear how you unpack that one. Oh, violently and with vitriol. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to do a little bit of listener feedback. Devin Ryan shared a post that said, Saw a kid about 14 at Woolies spend $50 on PlayStation cards so he could buy things online. How sad, I thought. At that age, me and my mates were always outdoors. Whether it was punching cones in a bong hut or asking adults to buy us cheap alcohol, we were always outside. Oh, yeah, the good old days. The good old days. <laughs> I guess that's to counter the argument like, oh, millennials today, they just don't go outside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Millennials. We were outside all the time. Doesn't mean we were doing good things, does it? No. <laughs> Alex Seamus Middleton taught us a new way to tell the time, Tara. Yeah? What time is it? Don't know. Pass me that trombone and I'll find out. (laughs) Who's that playing that trombone at 2am? Ah, so that's how you do it. 
Uh, at least it wasn't the rusty trombone. No. We're not going to talk about the rusty trombone, are we? I, I don't think that we should. It's a, it's a sex thing. You, yes. can, you can Google it. I don't, wouldn't I, recommend it. Don't Google image it. No. No. <laughs> How many people do you think just rushed and Googled it? <laughs> rusty trombone. No, no, don't it's, do it. It's only for your wedding night. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's a pretty sad wedding night. Or a night. first date. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no. Most women I know, they wouldn't rusty trombone on the first day. No. Most men either. Marissa Sharples gave us some interesting news. Notorious serial murderer Rose West wins first prize in a prison bake-off contest with her Victoria sponge. Oh, lovely. I believe Kelly Brighton said, oh, you know, the great prison bake-off. There's a show I'd watch. Yeah, so there was a whole article about how she, you know, um, befriends other inmates by baking Oh, I like it. I know. If only she'd taken up baking earlier, maybe she, uh, you know, wouldn't have done all that murdery, horrible sex stuff. Hey, we've got one here from Nick West, host of the Comeback Podcast. Oh, yeah. That's a great podcast. He made an interesting point. It's true that dogs are loyal, but cats don't tell the police where you hide your drugs. Good point. Hmm. Pop wouldn't tell them where, where, if we were to have any drugs, where they would be hidden. She'd be too busy barking at them, like, I didn't say you could come in my house. Get out! Especially if they were riding skateboards. Oh, she hates skateboards. Uh. She tries to hurl herself at them, just knock them out entirely. <laughs> now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We have some new ones this week, Tara, so thank you to Elby Chapman. Hayley Harold, Alison Schaefermeyer, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name there, Alison. <laughs> I think you got it I, right. I got it. Did I get it? <laughs> and Tam White, who upped her pledge. Thank uh, you very much, everyone. Good on you, Tam. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Don't search on Patreon because we're not there. Patrons have access to over 25 episodes. In fact, we dropped one uh, this week. Yes, we birthed one. We birthed one. Yesterday, it, I believe. It plopped out. It did. Oh, no, I thought it was a it was a labour of love, but, you know, there was some pushing before it plopped. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> that, that made me feel weird. Really? Um, the fact that you said it plopped out wasn't weird enough for uh, you? Yeah, I can do it. You can't. Uh, uh, yeah, that's actually, true. Actually, so there's 26 there. So 26 other episodes, early access to some of our regular episodes, and all levels receive free stickers. And handmade Barney badges. All right. I think it's time for you to get murdery, Tara. In 2001, Timothy Humphrey, who went by the name of Tracy, was a 34-year-old bodybuilder working as a doorman at Club Inferno in Florida. Six foot two and super buff, Tracy was a very impressive man. Or so he kept telling people. This egotistical brick with eyes said his colourful resume included being Tom Cruise's bodyguard, Vin Diesel's stunt double, playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and starring in a Rose Bowl game, and also modelling Armani underwear in Italy. You never did any of those things? It's well, you lies. were there. Did you see him? <laughs> well, I didn't see him when I was doing those things. <laughs> Friends say that he had a reputation as a top personal trainer who was especially popular with his female clients. His hobbies included looking in mirrors, shrinking his balls with steroid abuse, being violent and controlling of his girlfriends, looking at himself in every reflective surface he passed, being an asshole, and looking in more mirrors. <laughs> oh, wow. Sounds like a prick. Mm -hmm. In fact, Tracy was a convicted felon with a history of violence towards women. 
He'd been arrested at least eight times and was convicted of kidnapping, aggravated battery and aggravated assault, among others. Oh, he is a prick. Oh, yeah. Several ex-lovers said that he beat them and one said that he tied her up, stuffed a sock in her mouth and held a gun to her throat. Yeah. What a big man. That's not romantic. Not in my world. So Tracy's close friend Hector Adorno said he constantly bragged about who he was and what he's done in his lifetime. And that, to a lot of people, was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I like Hector. He tells it like it is. One of the people who found this interesting was Sandra Rosso. 35-year-old Sandy was a fit, attractive blonde with a spirited personality who was an aspiring actress and model. She went on auditions during the day and by night she worked as a barmaid in the VIP section at Club Inferno. Club Inferno in Florida. You just know that place goes off. Yeah, yeah. Sandy was divorced and shared custody of her teenage daughter Giovanna with her ex-husband. Sandy and Tracy met in November 2001. Tracy said he and Sandy dated for about three or four months and described the experience as real intense. What does that even mean? Oh, you'll see. As far as sex was concerned, Tracy's friend Hector said Sandy and Tracy's relationship was very physical. He said she liked violent sex and that she liked rough sex. Why would Tracy be going around telling his friends that sort of thing? I can think of a pretty good reason. Mm, Yeah, me too. At first, their relationship was passionate, according to Tracy, but soon they began arguing. After one heated row, Tracy had a very mature way of dealing with his frustrations. He said, oh, Over the next week, I paraded around a couple of other girls that I hooked up with right in front of her and made her pretty mad. Mm. Ugh. After they worked together on New Year's Eve 2002, Tracy had a tantrum because he felt that Sandy had disrespected him. Afterwards, he left 23 angry messages on her answering machine. Well, sometimes 22 is not enough. No, you've got to get that 23rd in there. In late January, Tiny Dick Tracy got himself all pissy at Sandy again during dinner because he thought she was flirting with another man. Later, he went back to the restaurant and threatened the man. In February, during a moment of clarity, Sandy tried to break off the relationship, but she continued to see the grossly arrogant roid rage baby. In late February 2002, their toxic on-again, off-again relationship took a horrendous turn. They went to Cirque du Soleil? (laughs) I wish they'd gone to Cirque du Soleil. Because that's weird. It's weird, is it? Yeah. Oh, it's a circus. They wear body paint and shit and it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> they have all those scary masks on. Yeah. What scares me is that they like come through the audience and they might like try and make you do something. They might I'm engage. Just, oh, audience participation is a big no. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Don't look at me. Don't even think about yeah. it. I will be out of here. Sandy's friend Heather said, apparently they started drinking. He got angry and they got into an altercation of some sort where he tried to physically force himself on her. He hit her and she had black eyes. Sandy also told Heather that Tracy spat on her, raped her and threatened to kill her and her daughter. Oh, God. Yeah. Romantic, huh? Nice guy. Heather said she wasn't sure what to do because she was so distraught over the situation. But because Sandy was so terrified, she waited a week before going to the police to file charges. A lot of women. T- yeah, yeah never a lot do. of people do. Yeah, well, that's right. A lot right. of people do. That's right. It's a natural response, actually. Mm. 
Sandy also confided to her sister Tracy Havelick about the assault. Her sister said he tied her up, he squeezed her head between his legs while he was straddling her and punching her face several times. Detective Scott Goldswelski confirms the charges, saying he did beat her up, she did have a black eye, there were also allegations of sexual battery. So that's a week later. She didn't quite have two at the time, but she, she sure had one still. Mm, right. But there was no DNA or medical evidence of the rape at that point. Instead, Tracy was charged with assault, which carried a maximum 10-year sentence. Tracy insists he did nothing wrong, saying, Oh, she liked to be roughed up during sex, so we had what was normal between us. Oh, contraire. Ridiculous, Tracy. Giving a woman two black eyes during sex is normal to this guy. Do you hear that sound, Barney? Can you hear it? I do. Actually, no, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) That was the sound of Tracy's man card being officially revoked. So what happens to his dick and balls? Ah, they just vanish. Poof. I'm thinking more like he has to put them on the lieutenant's desk, you know, when a, when, when a detective gets suspended. Oh, and they have to put their, uh, their badge and their, their, their gun. gun on yeah, the desk. So the he desk. gets out his dick, he gets out his balls, puts them on the desk and leaves. Yeah, in a huff. Probably storms off. Oh, he's probably going to go get yeah. drunk. Mm. The prospect of big, tough, sexy Tracy spending 10 years in jail terrified him. What if the other inmates weren't impressed with his bullshit Vin Diesel stories? What if they didn't have many mirrors or reflective surfaces to look in? And even more terrifyingly, where on earth would he get his steroids? Well, I think they'd probably have steroids in jail, wouldn't they? You know what? I think they do, but no one gave him any. Oh, they wouldn't share. No, they wouldn't share with this guy. They're like, (laughs) no, none for you, Tracy. So this is when Tracy hatched an evil plan to make his problems disappear. A plan that revolved around manipulation, seduction and a murder. If Tracy was worried about his upcoming assault trial, he didn't let on to his friends. Hector, who, who, <laughs> whose take on the whole thing I quite enjoy, said, he wanted to go out and sleep with other women. They were sexy women. <laughs> oh, Hector. Oh, Hector. <laughs> you got twenty twenty vision, don't you, mate? In the autumn of 2002, Tracy picked his next mark. 19-year-old Ashley Laney was fresh out of high school and desperate to impress. Ashley and her BFF Charlie worked together at a frozen yogurt shop across the street from the gym where Tracy worked as a trainer. I believe it's called Froget. A Froget shop. Mm. Now, do you want to hear what Hector thought about all this? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I want Hector to replace you as as host. I think he has good insight. They were sexy women. (laughs) Hector said, Ashley was a little scared girl, not a sexy girl. Thanks, Hector. He said, Ashley wasn't a bartender. Ashley wasn't a topless dancer. In other words, Ashley wasn't Tracy's type at all. Well, was she even a real woman? I wonder if she wasn't a sexy girl. At this point, Tracy was 36. One of Ashley's friends called him a child molester for pursuing her. Also, Tracy was seven inches taller and 100 pounds heavier than the tiny little Ashley. Tracy describes their meeting like this. Oh, I came in and met her and I was kind of taken with her right away. She has that girl next door kind of thing going. She was nice. She was fun. She was eager. She was very eager. 
Reading quotes from this guy makes me feel like, you know, in the old timey movies where they chew tobacco and they have to spit all the time? <laughs> That's how I feel every time I say yeah. something that he has said. Well, his words in your mouth. They make me spitty. <laughs> they make you feel dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I can understand that. Oof. Well, hearing them's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Out of your voice. Oh, fuck you. What? Ashley's eagerness stemmed from a troubled childhood. Her father was in prison for most of her life and her mother was unsupportive of her in the extreme. Her friends say that that upbringing made her vulnerable, lacking in self-esteem and easy to manipulate. Tiny Dick Tracy played her daddy issues like a violin. Soon Ashley was moving in with Tracy, ignoring her old friends and taking a new job at the gym he worked at. The couple even started their own personal training business. Tracy says he fell in love with Ashley, but her friend Charlie begs to differ. She said, I just knew there was something not right. We started hearing about all the different girls he was with, but Ashley turned a blind eye. Oh, I bet Charlie said, well, Froget isn't good enough for you now, hey? Why would she say that? Because she, oh, she became a personal trainer instead of working in the Froget shop. Yeah, yeah. Froget's good. <laughs> what? The only person she seemed to listen to anymore was Tracy. She was digmatized. She was so digmatized. Even with his little roidy, roid rage. She's uh, like, he pumped iron yeah. with his dick, I guess. Nah, that's all the steroids make your dick and balls small, don't they? Tracy eventually told Ashley that he was possibly facing serious time in prison because of what he said was a bogus assault case his ex girlfriend Sandy had brought against him. Oh, essentially, she'd lose everything if she lost me. Tracy said of Ashley. She struggled, and now we were starting a business together. She was an equal partner. If she lost all that, she goes back to mum and the trailer park life. Just a month before Tracy's trial in the Sandy Rosso assault case, he and Ashley got surprise married at the gym they worked at. There was no ceremony or rings, just a marriage license and probably some push-ups. Oh, I love you, baby. I'm so glad I'm married to you. Now let's blast those quads. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm going to love you forever. Now drop and give me 20. <laughs> Married in a gym. Yeah. That's awesome. But, I mean, there was no ceremony to it. They were just like, married. A day after Tracy got married, Sandy was murdered. With Sandy's death, the assault charges against Tracy were dropped. Police were convinced that Tracy was behind Sandy's murder, but at the same time of the murder, he was at home eating pizza with his big, stupid head. The pizza delivery man confirmed it was him, though at first he thought it was Vin Diesel. No, he didn't. Oh, I bet he had to work the next day a bit harder because of all those oh, carbs. Oh, the pizza. Yeah, so he confirmed that it was Tracy who opened the door. Um, and also he'd paid by credit card, so he was, like, deliberately making an alibi. Ooh. And, yeah, he really he had to um, work those carbs off later. Off his fantastic body. Police got lucky and were given a tip from the fire department who had heard about the case. They told homicide detectives that they had found Ashley's car ablaze in Tampa a month before the murder. Ashley had reported it stolen. The fire investigators suspected arson and turned over a background check they had run on her. So they gave all their info to the cops. Okay. She had purchased a couple of computer software programs that would enable her to look for somebody. One of them actually was a search that she paid for on her credit card for Sandra Rosso. Oh, Sandy. Yeah. Another break came when they spoke with David Abernathy, the co-signer of Ashley's car loan and her mother's boyfriend. 
Another break came when they spoke with David Abernathy, the co-signer of Ashley's car loan and her mother's boyfriend. Detectives said, as we were leaving, I just asked him if he has any firearms. Abernathy told them that he no longer had a gun because he'd loaned it to Ashley. Detective Andrews said that this was a very big break in the investigation. The shell casings from Abernathy's Ruger 22 match the type found in Sandy's garage on the night of her murder. Ashley's mobile phone records on the day of the murder were very telling as well. Ooh. Detective Golkzuski said, Ashley's cell phone is not only bouncing off of the antenna near Miss Rosso's place of business, but then crossing over in, into Pinellas County, and then a few minutes after the homicide, bouncing off of a cell phone tower in Pinellas Park. So, you know, right near Sandy's place of work and her home. Okay. This information was crucial as it placed Ashley in Sandy's neighbourhood at the exact time of the murder. You really shouldn't take your cell phone to a murder, should you? No, but remember, we're not trying to show everyone how to do this right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you no. should take your cell phone no, to a murder. No, take it. Take it. If you're going to commit a murder, bring your cell phone. Uh, make sure you drop all kinds, like cigarette butts everywhere. Write a journal. Write a journal. Um, About everything that happened. Online. And publish sign it. it. Yes, definitely pu- sign A blog, it. a blog. Yeah, a blog. Maybe do a podcast. Do a podcast about it. Um, own up. Um, yeah, clues everywhere. Clues. Yeah. They're Leave your important. DNA. Lick everything. Just we've lick es- everything. We've established that's very important in a police investigation. Clues. Clues. Yeah, this is what we've learned after nearly two years of podcasting. <laughs> 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 We're very quick learners. Police arrested both Ashley and Tracy in December 2003. Ashley was charged with murder, but police could only get Tracy in on a weapons charge. At first, Ashley wouldn't talk, but after three weeks behind bars, she cracked, confessing to shooting Sandy. She told the police that she did it because she was afraid of losing Tracy. Ashley later said, He planned a lot of what I did. I just followed through on what he said. But this hadn't been Ashley's first attempt at killing Sandy. Oh, really? Mm hmm. Poison Froggit? Poison Froggit. <laughs> Oh, I just told her to go out with this fucking Tracy again. That would have done the trick. A month before the murder, in spring 2003, she stole a rifle from her mother's boyfriend, then waited in her Volkswagen Beetle, Ted Bundy murder car, Mm. outside the Green Iguana Bar in Tampa where Sandy worked. When Sandy finished her shift, Ashley pointed the gun out the window and fired. But she shot the side mirror of her own car. The bullet bounced off and missed Sandy. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> Do you think she was trying to shoot her through the mirror? Yeah, she probably saw her in the mirror and thought shooting the mirror would kill her. Probably. Yeah, marksman she is not. No. Um, so Sandy didn't realise that she'd been shot at. Tracy was worried that someone had seen Ashley's car, though. So he and Ashley set it on fire in Hyde Park, then reported it stolen. So for the next attempt, Ashley complained to her mother's boyfriend that someone was stalking her. She asked for a gun, and he reluctantly gave her his loaded Ruger twenty two. I couldn't steal this one. No, well, I mean, there's only so many guns you can steal off your mum's boyfriend before they get suspicious. Yeah, that's true. One, apparently. That's the number. Mm-hmm. On July 4th, 2003, Ashley married Tracy in their super romantic signing of a marriage license at work. I bet there wasn't even cake. <sighs> Probably protein bars. Oh, Yeah. The next day, wearing baggy clothes, shoes that were too big for her, a beard and blackface. What? Yes, you heard me, blackface. 
Ashley headed to the green iguana parking lot again. She wanted any witnesses to believe Sandy was killed by a black man. Thanks for that, Ashley. Yeah. Really setting society forward here. Yeah. <laughs> She's in blackface, dressed as a dude. She waited in a rented car outside the bar for over seven hours. Cell Tower Records confirmed she called Tracy 14 times during this period. Ashley was annoyed because her fake beard wouldn't stick properly to her brown painted face. Tracy, my beard won't stay on. It's just not sticking, Tracy. It's just not. It's all this blackface. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's so ridiculous. Oh, my God, I know. So um, after being cranky about that, she fell asleep. (laughs) Sounds like something you'd Mm, do. Makes sense. When she woke up, Sandy was getting into her white BMW convertible. The plan had been to shoot her right there in the parking lot, but it was too late. Instead, Ashley followed her home. Cell Tower Records revealed she headed into Pinellas County right behind Sandy. Ashley ambushed Sandy in her car just after she'd parked in the garage. She shot her eight times. Ashley later said that Sandy kicked and screamed as she was being murdered. Oh, I was kind of hoping Sandy get away. It seemed like a really I, I mean, stupid I, I murder was, plot. It is incredibly, incredibly stupid. Who's this kid? And oh no, who's this? Who's this nineteen-year-old woman in blackface with a falling-off fake beard who's shooting at me? Yeah, it's not how you expect to go, is it? No, it's not. As Tracy was being transported between jails in April 2004, he escaped from a transport van. He was probably trying to go find some mirrors. Uh, He was on the lam for several hours before deputies found him quivering in a bush about a mile away. Oh, that's manly. Yeah, isn't it just? Um, Now, during this time, he was still professing his love for Ashley, but he was also sending a series of letters to ex-girlfriends proposing marriage, and he even asked one of them for a loan. So he's all like, I love you, baby. I never got over you. We should get married. By the way, can you loan me $500? I'm in jail now for, for, like, you know, bad shit. Hey, baby, I'm in jail. Can you lend me a fitty? <laughs> Who could possibly say no to that? That's right. Ashley eventually told her lawyers to seek a deal. She said in a deposition, I had been brainwashed and taken advantage of by this man, and I wanted to let the truth be known and do whatever it took, to confess what happened and let it be known that he was the mastermind behind it all. She spoke to the investigators for several hours, giving them extraordinary details. She led police to the woods where she'd buried both the rifle and the Ruger as well. Oh, buried them, eh? Yeah. After more than two years in custody, Ashley was barely recognisable when she went to court. Her friend Charlie said, She looked horrible. I hate to say it, but she was beautiful and she's not anymore. See, don't kill people. It ruins your looks. Hmm. And your life. One of the good reasons, I guess. A little bit superficial, but you know. This is what we're dealing with with these people, dude. But when you do something ugly, I think it goes... It can uggify you. Well, it's not skin deep. It goes through to the bone. It's, um, yeah, it can uggify you. Right. It can. I don't know, though. I went to school with some, like, you know, like when you're in, like, primary and high school, people can be, look attractive but be evil. You like to think that over time it actually kind of, you know, makes its mark on them. Ashley told the jury that she'd gone out with several dudes before but had fallen crazy in love with Tracy Humphrey. But she said it wasn't long before he began to dominate and control her. She said, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere without telling him. I wasn't allowed to have any friends. Possessiveness turned to violence, as it often does. Ashley said Tracy hit her and frequently threatened to kick her out of the house. You know, that's like a big fear for her, right? Yeah, that's right. 
One night she says he knocked her unconscious. I was just begging to stay with him and I told him that if you want me to stay with you, I'll kill Sandra for you, she testified. Ashley told the jury that once she agreed to kill Sandy, it was Tracy who hatched the murder plans, that it had been his idea to get a gun, wear a ridiculous racist disguise and stalk Sandy. And after her first attempt had failed, Ashley testified that Tracy was furious. He said, if you still want to live with me, you still have to do this. Don't think this is a way out of it. Asked by Tracy Humphrey's attorney why she murdered Sandy, Ashley said, because I loved him. But Tracy insists that he's innocent and says his wife is the real mastermind and manipulator. Oh, this does not surprise me mm, that he'd want to throw her it? under the bus. Oh, does it? Here's a nice quote from him. Ashley's a lot smarter and a lot more cunning than anybody's given her credit for. Even me. <laughs> Even you, because you're so, so smart. So mm. gorgeous and smart. Well, I enjoyed that noise. Uh, he went on to say, um, they say that I had control of her, that I had all this control of her. I couldn't even get her to clean the house. Oh, dear God. Isn't that exactly what an abusive asshole would say? Because I bet she cleaned it right, but I, I bet it was never exactly the way he yeah, thought it should be. Absolutely. You can't even clean the house when I ask you to. Oh, you're getting a really clear picture of this guy. Oh, yeah, it's making Ooh, me mad. Oh, yeah. On February 25th, 2006, the jury deliberated for just four hours before finding Tracy guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Sandy's mother had this to say. Did he think he was so high and mighty that he could do something like this and get away with it? Yep, Sandy's mum, he totally did. Sandy's mother also went on to say that she believes justice has been served. She said, I think it's better than the death penalty because he's got to suffer every day and think every day what he did. On March 10th, 2006, Ashley Humphrey was sentenced to 25 years for murder. This means she'll be 46 when she's eligible to be released from prison. Tracy Humphrey appealed his conviction and lost. Good. Also, the lack of uh, steroid availability in prison turned him into a really weedy looking guy and this is probably the harshest punishment of all for a vile narcissist like him it would be i'd agree with that yeah yeah like i showed you the pictures right mm. yeah like really i don't know where he's going to get his ego from now toilet wine perhaps <laughs> oh i could go some toilet wine right ah, now really yeah you know it comes from a toilet right Ah, uh, but no time for that. No time for toilet wine? No. What is it time for? True crime nerd time. True crime toilet wine. <laughs> <laughs> True crime nerd time. True crime nerd time. True crime nerd time. I love true crime. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV, series, documentary, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Such as a recipe for toilet wine. <laughs> Are you itchy for toilet wine, Tara? <laughs> I'm thirsty for toilet wine, Barney. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it or write it and we'll read it out. We've got one here from Liz. Um, she's from Sydney and it's about the granny killer. Ooh. It's a book by Les Kennedy and Mark Whitaker, and she writes, 
John Wayne Glover was one of the earliest serial killers I remember hearing about as a kid. I don't remember the details of his reign of terror, but I remember news items warning old women in Mossman, New South Wales, to be careful and police making statements to the media. Yeah, I was um, actually, I was in Sydney at that time too. Ooh. And I, there was a lot of press. When he was caught, I remember thinking how he looked like a lot of old grey-haired men that lived in my Sydney suburb. The book, The Granny Killer, is a disturbing insight into the mind of a psychopathic personality who is linked to or suspected of well over 10 brutal murders of old women spanning from 1957 to 1990, not to mention the rape and assault spree of old women in the Central Coast during the 1970s and 80s. There are some really disturbing details in this book that maybe I didn't need to know. There are, but I mean, you've read it too, right? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I found it really interesting, it's particularly... Quite, it's quite compelling. Well, yeah, he mm. tried to kill himself at one point and he, he wrote this really drunken note and it, it said mostly, no more grannies. Yeah, we had a problem with his mother, didn't he? Uh, no, it was his mother-in-law. Oh, mother-in-law. Yeah. yeah. All those mother-in-law jokes, he took them seriously. Yeah, he really did. This book is not only a tale of a serial granny killer, but also the incompetence and stupidity of the New South Wales police force. Oh, it's someone else's words, not ours, by the way, people. Seriously, police sat outside one of the last victim's house for over seven hours whilst Glover beat her to death and tried to commit suicide. Their response for the oversight, uh, well, she wasn't in his usual age bracket. Yeah, but she was a woman, right? And he was getting all edgy because you were closing in. The police had no leads for most of Glover's reign. They were searching for a young blonde man, possibly with a skateboard. I know, that was crazy. Or possibly someone that bus hops. What the fuck? Glover was not a very intelligent man. He acted on impulse, so he was never careful and calculating. He didn't take any time to clean up the crime scene, but apparently he was so slippery that he eluded police for years, even with all the resources being fed into this area of Mossman. Definitely read if you are interested to know how to elude police. <laughs> Which is pretty much don't confess because without a confession they have very little. A very interesting snapshot of a time in Australian crime. Yeah, he's uh, actually quite an interesting murderer. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that he was very calculating and, and thought things out. He did commit his crimes in the open though, like on paths and stuff and outside like blocks of flats. And the fact that he was never seen was he, really compelling. I think he was very lucky, actually, because he did there a lot of a them lot in of broad daylight, too. Yeah, but he was a delivery guy, so he was able to stake out a lot of areas and kind of understand the general flow of traffic. Yeah, he was a door-to-door -door, uh, 420 pie salesman, uh, from okay. memory, wasn't he? Uh, he used to do that um, with businesses. So some, one of the, the businesses he did it with was an old people's home, and he That's would just right. wander through and molest like old patients with dementia and stuff and sometimes yeah. the staff didn't believe them when they were like this guy just came in and molested me they're like sure Deidre here's yeah, your yeah. meds like yeah, you got yeah. away with heaps of stuff by preying on the elderly yeah it was quite some time ago I read this book but I remember it being quite good yeah and it's it's really um it's really quite a horrifying case because it makes well you think of your, of your mum or your grandma or something you're just like oh my god dude no well thank you Liz uh, that book is called The Granny Killer uh, and it's by Les Kennedy and Mark Whitaker. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'll put some notes. Um, I'll put the details of that in the notes of the show. So, Barney, I do believe it's time for you to get murdery. Tara, I'm going to tell you a story that will reveal the ugly face of alcohol fuel violence and all its tragic and brutal glory. And it all started over a chance meeting of two old friends in a pub in Darwin in the Northern Territory of Australia. In September 2012, Paul John Stamp, aged 47, arrived in the Northern Territory from Western Australia just eight days before his death. Originally from the Lake Macquarie area of New South Wales, he had been working around Australia for the past six years. Paul intended to work in the gold mining industry in the Territory. Paul was feeling a bit down on his luck. He'd been staying at a hostel in Darwin when his wallet was pinched. Well, I mean, nobody likes that. All he had was a cash in his pockets, and he was having a cheeky pint and feeling sorry for himself. That was when, completely by chance, he ran into 40-year-old Gary Miles. Now, you'd think this would be fortunate, but... Well, so far it sounds kind of good. I don't know. Was Gary happy to see him? Gary was happy to see him. Oh, that's a good story of friendship. The two men had known each other in Sydney 12 years ago where they had worked together as security guards. Gary seemed pleased to see Paul and invited him to stay in his spare room at his Melville Street unit in the gardens for a few weeks until he got back on his feet. What could possibly go wrong? What a nice bloke. Yeah. A few days later, on September 19th, they were drinking in the unit with Gary's friend, 41-year-old Greg Channing, and his girlfriend, Jodie Lewis. The night was going well until Paul commented that Jodie had nice breasts. Oh, for God's sake, Paul. We don't need to hear it. It might be true. Doesn't mean we need to hear about it. Yeah, you don't. That's not a compliment. Oh, also, to your friend's girlfriend in front of them, it's almost like a, as a woman? Might well be true, but it doesn't mean you need to hear it from some random dude. No, it's just a bit creepy, isn't Mm. it? Yeah. This did not please Greg. No. As he thought Paul might be attempting to cut his lunch. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have worked. Greg decided it might be time to take Jodie home. I think Jodie was probably into that idea too. Gary advised Paul against taking any of the four Melbourne bitters in the fridge. That's cans of beer. Yeah, Really, like, not expensive beer either. No, it's not. No. While they dropped Jody home in Nightcliffe. In fact, the exact words he used were, touch my beers while I'm gone and I'm going to fuck your shit up. Okay, so he was left alone with the beers. For how long? A few hours. Why did it take them so long? Uh, I think they might have made a few stops. Oh, okay. Get a pie or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on return, the beers were gone. <sighs> Paul had ignored his demand and drunk the last four beers. Needless to say, Gary was pretty pissed off. Together with Greg, they decided to teach Paul a lesson. Oh, when that whole teach someone a lesson thing never ends well, does it? It's not good, is it? Paul was asleep when he was woken by Gary screaming, You were warned! We fucking told you not to touch the piss! Gary and Greg then punched and kicked the living shit out of sleepy-eyed Paul, rendering him unconscious. The beer thief had eight broken ribs and a lot of internal damage, but his mates weren't done yet. The duo then dragged Paul down some stairs and threw him in a trunk of a car before driving him to an industrial estate where they planned to teach him a lesson by making him walk home. This lesson is way too big. Gary wanted to drop the heavily injured man in an abandoned place. But the car ran out of fuel, 
so the pair hitched a ride to get some more. They left him in the trunk. Gary and Greg had to get a jerry can and then petrol, but once they returned to the car, Gary snapped and started shouting, I'm going to kill this cunt! Greg was horrified when Gary poured petrol over the car and set it alight. Paul Stamp was heard screaming through the car's hot metal body in a lonely Darwin industrial area as Gary and Greg walked away. That is so horrific. It belongs in a film, don't you think? Oh, it's just awful. After the police found the burned-out car two days later and made the grisly discovery of Paul's body in the boot, Gary and Greg were both arrested. But the investigation was not going well for Darwin police. A magistrate warned the Northern Territory Police Forensic Unit to speed up its work or risk being left out of the beginning of Paul Stamp's murder trial. Is that, can they do that? I guess they can do that. Greg and Gary had been in custody for almost four months. The Darwin Magistrate Court was told problems with forensic work had delayed the case from proceeding. The prosecutor said significant evidence was still missing from the police brief. The court was told this was due to the usual issues with forensics, including a backlog of three months' work coupled with staff on leave. Oh, they're on holidays. Why didn't you tell me earlier? Yeah. Magistrate Danor Trigg warned that forensics better get their act together or the case would proceed without that evidence. Wouldn't that mean they'd get off, though? Probably. We can't have the whole system being dictated to us by forensics, he said. The tail seems to be wagging the dog. Indeed. Whatever that means. Gary used this time to get his story straight. Initially, Gary confessed to locking Paul in the car boot and setting it on fire, but then he said he only made the confession because he was being threatened. By who? Well, I will tell you. Okay. By the time it came to trial, Gary pleaded not guilty to the murder of Paul Stamp. According to Gary, it was Greg who warned Paul not to take any of the beers. Gary said Greg was infuriated and saw red by Paul drinking the beers. He was also angry about Paul commenting on his girlfriend's jugs and that he initiated the drive and the fire. Gary said he only confessed under duress because Greg was threatening him. He said the same thing would happen to me and made threats of me being a dog in prison. With all his big heavy mates, he said he was going to get them to smash me, Gary told the court. I took the rap for everything. Gary said he gave Paul drinks because he knew his friend had no money after being robbed and wasn't angry at him at all for drinking the remaining beers. I knew Paul had no money when he came to my flat. I knew I'd have to feed him until he got back on his feet, Gary said. And then you punched him in the mouth, Crown Prosecutor Paul Usher said. Yeah, what a good friend I am, eh? Gary replied. <laughs> oh, good time to make a joke about it, Gary. Yeah, good on you, Gary. Nice one. He said after the two beat Paul, he wanted to take him to hospital, but Greg, he threatened to kick the fuck out of me. I panicked I'd never been around someone so aggressive before. So he's never seen a mirror. Paul Stamp's mother sat with her eyes covered and a female juror dabbed at tears as court heard Gary say that Paul's screaming did not last long. Gary wiped at his eyes as a forensic pathologist confirmed to the court that Paul was alive at the time the fire was lit. But the jury heard almost four hours of police tape in which Gary cried and repeatedly owned up to the killing. Gary said in his first interview with police that although he did not understand what made him do it, he was fully aware of what would happen to Paul. I understood exactly that if I lit the fire he would die, he said. I'm smart. I'm not an idiot. I know the consequences. 
Oh, I would love to actually like hear that tape because I wonder if the cops did that really like, you know, the really clever stuff they do where they're like, you know, they kind of almost calling him an idiot. And so to prove that he isn't, he admits what he did. You know, they have all these interesting, tricky ways. They do. I love, I love watching interrogation it's, it's footage. That, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Oh, it's so fascinating how they get people to talk. He told police his life was destroyed. I've never killed a person and it's killing me, he said. Maybe everything just got to me at the service station. I don't know. I'm just going to pay for it with my life now. Paul Stamp's family was relieved after Gary Miles was found guilty of murder. That was just rubbish, Paul Stamp's father said about Gary's not guilty plea, adding he was pleased the jury saw through Gary Miles' bullshit argument. It's been horrific for us. We never thought this would happen to anyone, let alone our son, he said. He was supposed to be his mate. What does alcohol do to a person? To think this happened over four beers. It's a big relief for the wife and I, and my son. He's happy there's at least some closure now for his brother. He's lost his best mate, he added. Paul's mother cried out in relief and wept in court as the jury found Gary Miles guilty. Chief Justice Trevor Riley told Gary, This was clearly serious offending. Paul was burnt alive. He must have been very concerned about what was going to happen to him. He was left alone in the boot of the car. He must have suffered a horrible and cruel death. Your conduct can only be described as deeply disturbing. Speaking to media, Paul's brother Craig said, It's just insane. He just had a big heart and loved everyone. He always tried hard to please everyone. I spoke to him on Saturday. A mate had organised a job for him and found him an apartment. Ah, he was getting, you know, he was going to get back on his feet. It was a new opportunity for him. The last I heard from him was when he sent me a text on Tuesday for my son's birthday. And then it happened that night. He was constantly in contact with his family. Yeah. Uh, and, and for special occasions, that kind of thing. Yeah. He was really connected with his family and, uh, hmm. Justice Trevor Riley sentenced Gary to a non-parole period of 25 years. He said Gary Miles' reaction to Paul drinking the beers they had been showing was totally disproportionate and simply unfathomable. Justice Riley said the jury was right to reject Gary's later claim that Greg had committed the murder after he'd made a tearful four-hour confession to police and noted that Gary had not demonstrated any real remorse since. He found Gary Miles was not without a prospect of rehabilitation and did not have a violent criminal history. Taking in account time already served, Gary Miles will be eligible for parole in 2037. Greg Channing pleaded guilty to offences on the night and received a lesser sentence of five years and six months. That's just incredible that, that, that this could even happen, isn't it? It's a really horrible story. I've never actually heard of anything like this happening. I mean, the reasons are always ridiculous, but four beers? Yeah. Also, they were Melbourne bitter. I mean, come on. It's not even good beer. No. Like, oh, that's vile. His poor family, Paul's family, they must have just been like, what? So Paul's family, they actually came from um, the Macquarie Lake District in New South Wales, and they came over for the trial in the Northern Territory. That's about 4,000 kilometres. Yeah. They came over with a caravan. They drove. Oh, And they wow. stayed in their caravan for the whole of the trial. And then they went home afterwards, um, which I think it's really sweet that they did that. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I really understand why they would have to be there. And yeah. Wow. 
Well, I think it might be time for an Aussie as. I'm not really sure what that is, uh, but it's in the uh, schedule. We have an Aussie as scheduled <laughs> for this this time. What do you this think juncture. it? What do you think it is, Mark? I think it's uh, tales of Tara's Tara, the tales that Tara writes about criminal stuff that can be funny. Uh, no, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Aussie as a tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, Barney? Yes, I would. There you go. Um, so I'd like to thank Deanne Grinter for bringing this one to my attention. Oh, thank thanks. you. Thanks, Deanne. Police officers in Western Australia have had the living piss taken out of them online after boasting about an overnight drug bust. The Bruce Rock Police... How cool is their name? I love that show. Bruce, Bruce Rock, please. Rock, please. Oh, Bruce Rock Cops. We watch that every week. Oh. So the Brucey Rock and Roll Cops tweeted a picture showing off huge bags of marijuana that they'd seized. They were like clear big lunch bags. And they said, our work does not stop when the sun goes down. While you slept, we seized these items and the holder booked himself a trip to court. The glaring issue that people were quick to point out was that the weed in the pictures did, in fact, look more like weeds or grass clippings, to be precise. Oh. One fuggy, fuggy bunga. <coughs> What's a fuggy bunga? Yeah, exactly. You're a fuggy bunga. I fucking am. One funny bugger responded with, Can I send you my address? I have some garden clippings I need to get rid of and I can't be bothered fetching the green bin. (laughs) Another commented, this is the dumbest thing on the whole internet. This is embarrassing for Australia. Others suggested that the bags were filled with the unwanted leafy leftovers from dope that had either already been sold or moved. But the Aussie battler with the best comeback has to be this person who said... Police have estimated the value of the haul in excess of $7.50. (laughs) Burn, baby, burn. So, yeah, poor old Bruce Rock cops. They're all embarrassed about their lame-ass weed bust boasts now, aren't they? No, they really are. I hope they learnt their lesson. I hope so, too. It was ridiculous. Mm. (laughs) Oh, come on. Come on, Brucey Rock and Roll cops. Get your shit together. So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And that was another episode of Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Feel free to join our awesome Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Snapchat and Insta. Check out our website, Bloody Murder Podcast, for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise, including our new range of stickers. Oh, my God, they look so awesome. Everything that Barney's already designed that we have on T-shirts and stuff, you can now buy as stickers. They're made of vinyl and they're so colourful and awesome. Yeah, from, they range from 2-inch to up, right up to 6-inch. Uh, I'm not going to say anything sexual about that. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. So I was a little bit distracted this week because... Oh my God, when I was talking, when I was, you know, earlier we were discussing the episode and he's just like doodling pictures on a piece of paper. And what did you draw? Well, I draw this. I drew this elephant and then it turned into a, a girl elephant and then it turned into a sex worker elephant but she's quite old so she probably would 
she's earned a lot of money. Um, she's wearing a top hat and a brassiere and she's got a little too much makeup on. Uh-huh. And then I drew on the other side uh, a prancing Barney with a root finger doing a little kiss. So when I was trying to discuss the episode with him, he was doing that. And then when I was reading my story, he was just laughing at his picture of that. They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on. And they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. So basically, he didn't listen to me at all. Well, the, pro- well, the, <laughs> prob- well, the problem was, it's, I'd, I'd look at the elephant, the hooker elephant, <laughs> and then I'd turn the paper over so I wouldn't get distracted. But then there was this prancing ballet barney on the back. No more drawing for you until we finish recording. All right. No more drawing. Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> You're a fucking doofus. I probably shouldn't draw hooker elephants on my kids' lunch bags too. And you probably shouldn't call them hooker elephants, should you? Sorry, they're sex workers. Sex worker elephants. Thank you. Yeah. If you pulled up, like, alongside one of those sex worker elephants and tried to hire them, you, they'd be like, no. Nah. What? They don't want to deal with you, the likes of you. You think elderly sex worker elephants nah. would not give me nah. any, their business? Nah, they'd be like, oh, a thousand bucks for a hand job. Oh, they'd draw the line with me. Yep. Yeah, They'd right. just be like, nah. They'd be list all the things we they don't do, mm-hmm. and, then, and Barney would be at the top of that list. Yeah, so I don't do Barney. I don't do the rusty trombone. <laughs> I don't do the toilet wine reach around. And basically, fuck yeah. off, Barney. Oh, well. You know why elephants drink? To forget that they've ever met you. <laughs> That's Same right. reason I do. <laughs> All right, you like that, me being mean uh, to your shit there, so. Yeah. Girl, I want to make you sweat. If that ends up in the episode, you're dead. <laughs> oh, no, I just gotta. Yeah, it's going in our ad now. Ashley Laney and Tracy Humphrey, Humphrey, <sighs> fucking trouserless bear. Tara touched my muscles. No, yeah. Barney, that's weird. <laughs> that happened, didn't it? No, it didn't happen. Actually, you put that on a design on in a our t-shirt. merch shop. But no. if you'd said that to me, I wouldn't have said no, Barney. That's weird. I would have just probably told you to fuck off. You, you would have said, "My God, Barney, that's amazing." No, your no, muscle, I think you're talking about a different gra- Tara. Your muscles are great. <laughs> Definitely not the same Tara. He'd been arrested at least eight times and was convicted of kidnapping, aggravated. I was going to say buggery. Jesus Christ. Aggravated buggery? Well, if you can think of a better way of doing Uh it. Dexter, are you making the duck do that? Do you have a toy that sounds like a duck? I don't know. I think it might have been a crow flying past. I don't know about that. Uh, But I didn't hear uh, anyone uh, creeping uh, around up there, which you normally... (gasps) Ghost duck. Oh, my God. <laughs> do we have duck. a ghost duck? <laughs> you do. <laughs> They're the worst kind. <laughs> oh, my God. I was terrified of ducks as a child. Well, ghost ducks are even worse. Well, yeah, when I had a fever when I was three, I actually hallucinated a duck eating my blanket. That's how scary I thought they were. That was what my, my subconscious, like, Wow, a duck eating conjured. a blanket, eating your blanket. Well, yeah, I was going to eat my feet next. That's why it was scary. Oh, wow. I'd never heard that story before. I thought I'd heard all your stories. No, no, no none of my duck stories, none, clearly. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe we could do another podcast, Tara's Duck Stories. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's a witty name we could come up with, and I just haven't. Tara loves the D-yucks. 
Oh, right. That's a session when you went. No there. fucks about ducks. <laughs> no fucks about ducks. I like it. Perfect. Nailed it. Oh, wow. Well, if anyone listens to that and comes at me for swearing, it's going to be their own damn fault, isn't it? <laughs> I love Froget. I just enjoy the dead end. You know, it's like you can see the sign that says no through road, but you keep driving till you hit the end of it anyway, and then I, you're like, why didn't this go anywhere? Let me tell you all the different flavours of Froget that I enjoy. <laughs> I've never seen you eat froget full. I don't. I, I don't eat it enough. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I'll stop with the froget stuff. I don't know. I mean, if you could make it funny, that would be good too. It, and, uh, I, I, you probably want interesting as well, don't you? <laughs> I mean, in an ideal world. Well, we don't live in an ideal world, Tara. <laughs> That's for we sure. live in this world. Oh, don't remember. Where Barney me. loves froget. So I'm, the- <laughs> I'm, I'm the fat kid running down the road after the ice cream truck. <laughs> This is how you described my speaking style before. You told me that in our last episode, I was talking super fast, and then you came on and you were like, it, in because compa- you were hung over off your nana as well, and you were yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. Look, Yeah, I understand that, but how can you compare someone speaking slow to a fat kid running after an ice cream truck? I, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you couldn't catch the truck, could you, fatty? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this whole conversation is like the pot calling the kettle fat right now. It wasn't about your body. It was a metaphor. Right. Yes. Hmm. For a slow voice. Look, I I love the image. It it made me giggle. Oh, my God. You can't stop talking about it, though, can you? I think it's funny. Really? I I, feel like it's peculiar. You've got a a chip on your shoulder and your tubby little ass hasn't realised and you haven't eaten it yet. Well, I wish it was chocolate chip. (laughs) (laughs) You're never going to catch that, Mr. Whippy Van. Really? Yeah, no. Ding, 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 ding. For you, you're just going to hear that shit in the distance as you if you huff and puff along. Well, with... this is this is this is the cross I have to bear. <laughs> Trying to tell a serious murder story, all right? Why are you looking at me as though I would know the answer to this question? Uh, I've heard it. I've heard that. Have you heard that? I've heard that, but I don't know if it's true. Well, or I not. don't have any personal experience myself, too. Well, neither do I. Well, I didn't say you did. <laughs> Well, you would know, Tara, about small okay, dicks and small balls. Okay, there's a gym around the corner. Let's both go in there. Uh, try and, Well, you could just go into the change rooms and sneak a peek at a roided up dude's wiener. Oh, man, nobody's still headbutt me or something. I'm not, <laughs> not if you do it, like, you know, covertly. Right, so not... Wear it. sunglasses, pretend to be blind, bump right. into a roided up guy's junk and just take a photo with your spy glasses. Right, I thought just ask them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that would that would be you'd be made into jam after that. Yeah, Barney butter, I'm sure. Barney butter, that's the best. No, grand, grandma butter's the best butter. <sighs> that's true. I'm never going to get to say that line, am I? Digmatized. Police got police got lucky, and we're, uh, we're, uh, fuck you. Yeah, don't do police as two two syllables. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one's mentioned it yet, apart from you. So clearly, no one else cares. Someone will correct me soon, and I'll enjoy it. Good. Another break came when they spoke with David. Ath- David. 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 I can't even say David. Is that a, that's not a name. How am I supposed to say Oregon or however you say it if I can't even say David? I didn't think there was anything wrong with the way you said Oregon. No, well, apparently Oregon. there is. No, apparently it's really weird. They say it like... See, I didn't do that in the mic this time. <laughs> Not this time. I've got, to, I've got to stop looking at this fucking prostitute elephant. It's really bothering me. But then I turn You're it the over. And I, then I turn it over and I get that. 
very focused right now, are you? I am helping. <laughs> no, you're not. I am. I'm helping. You're not. I can't get a sentence through. No, you know what this is? Revenge for the early episodes. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, remember? I thought we were doing comedy, so I was supposed to make jokes all the time. And then all the everyone was just like, oh, my God, that Tara's the worst. She just won't tell, let Barney tell a story. Just shut up and let Barney speak. Remember those reviews? You liked them. I agree with them. Yeah. I wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote them. Yeah, you did. They uh, detect. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. True Crime Toilet Wine <laughs> is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your toilet wine <laughs> for anything toilet wine related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, documentary, graphic novel, or any wine-based substance that is made in your toilet that you can drink straight out of your toilet. You can drink your toilet wine, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll drink your toilet wine. <laughs> drink all the toilet wine. Uh, oh, I could really go some toilet wine right now. <laughs> True crime toilet, toilet wine. wine. <laughs> <laughs> also, Rusty Trombone is my new favourite drag king name, though I'm still pretty attached to John Bennett Ramsey. <laughs> you can rebuild it. I could read it, maybe. <laughs> no guarantees. No, I didn't get off page three for a million years, I so I, I don't know how I you I think will. I've had too much toilet wine. <laughs> <laughs> or not enough toilet wine. Or not wine. enough. How yeah. will you know? Have some more. Have some more. <laughs> <laughs> I like that that's why you don't flush a toilet, because you're making wine in it. Well, that's right. So that's the Extraordinary Stories podcast. You Ho- do that better. Extraordinary <laughs> Hey, baby, that's the Extraordinary Stories Podcast. What's about it? It is Extraordinary Story Podcast. Murder. Murder. Oh, that's oh. no good. Oh. <laughs> that worked oh. out all right, didn't it? <laughs> it, was, it was like waking up to find your toilet full of wine. Wasn't it? Wouldn't that be good? It depends. Depends, depends. on when you, when you found it. Yeah. Uh, after you did your first plop of the day, would be a bad. Oh. oh, crap. I just crapped in my wine. Oh. What am I going to do today now? Uh, get a straw, I guess. Yeah. Hey, Barney, I think it's your time to shine. Yeah, that one, that was like, are you ready for your time to shine, champ? You ready? You ready to get murdery? Oh, no, I don't like it when you talk to me like that. You don't like it when I talk to you at all. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Okay, do you want me to do like a more serious No, I think I've got something there to work with. All of those are good. Yo, cunt, speak out, you asshole. (laughs) What? Flap your fucking ice cream chubby running mouth on the fucking word thing. Are you feeling all right? No, you know I'm not. Uh, sitting there and you're, <coughs> you're lying there in your bed of filth. <laughs> filthy mouth. Yes, my bed of filthy mouth. Tara, I'm going to tell you a story that will reveal the ugly face of alcohol-fueled violence in all its tragical... <laughs> it's magically tragical. Well, drinking more beer and make it go away. Yes. You know Pop actually does like human-sounding burps? Really? My dog Pop. Yeah, she did one yesterday. And I was like, what the fuck? So her farts sound kind of human too, which is good because you can. we can always just blame her did for you yell, fart. Did you yell Joycey at her? Joycey! Only the patrons will get that. Oh, yeah. Because clearly all of this is going on air. It's... It's... <laughs> <laughs> Page three for life. In September 12... <laughs> 
Get your hands off my lunch money. Don't you look at me so funny. Do I look like, like the Easter, Easter bunny. bunny? You know I like my eggs runny. Mm-hmm. I do. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 